Hey, functional friends, Bren Vermeyer here. Welcome to the Holistic Savage podcast, where we like to talk about all things related to functional health, including functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality, functional psychology, and basically everything in between. And of course, you can't spell functional without fun. So we like to have a good time on this show. Now, before we get started with introducing today's honored guest, I want to remind you all that the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not at all intended to be a replacement for supervised healthcare. So be sure that you're working proactively with your licensed healthcare provider to make sure that all of your healthcare and medical needs are being met effectively. Of course, if you're interested in our functional services at Metabolic Solutions, you can send us an email at info at metabolicsolutionsllc.com. And of course, visit our website, metabolicsolutionsllc.com. Also, if you love this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your family and friends, like it, follow us, subscribe, review. It really means the world because ultimately, I believe that the greatest miss involves to teach people how not to need it. And the first step towards change is awareness and then education and empowerment. So that is what my platform is dedicated to. That's what this podcast is dedicated to, is helping educate and empower self-healers around the world so that they can overcome their greatest health objectives. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review and don't forget to share with your loved ones. So without further ado, let's get started with today's guest. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, functional friends, welcome back to the Holistic Savage podcast. I couldn't be more excited to introduce our next honored guest, uh, one of my favorite members of the Mold Squad, that is Dr. Jill Krista. So please allow me to formally introduce Dr. Jill Krista, who is a naturopathic doctor, best-selling author, and internationally recognized educator on neuroinflammatory conditions such as mold, Lyme, pandas and pans, and post-concussion syndrome. She's passionate about helping people recover their health after exposure to toxic mold. Dr. Krista is the author of Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health and Support Mold Sick People through her Inspire membership. She also provides online training for medical practitioners wanting to become mold literate. So Dr. Jill Krista is somebody that um, I've never met in person yet, although I can't wait for the day that I do get to hang out with her in person because um, I, I feel like we've been building good rapport, good friendship kind of through the internet, through the industry for a few years now. We run in a lot of the same circles. Uh, obviously, we're both very passionate about mold and neuroinflammation. Those of you that follow my career and my work know that mental health, neuroinflammation, neuroplasticity, and what I've coined as microglial activation syndrome is really kind of the focal point of my work and my research. And obviously mold is one of my sort of subspecialties that is such a big contributor to toxic burden, neuro neuroinflammatory load, so on and so forth. So I was very, very excited and honored to have the opportunity to, to bring Jill Krista onto the episode because I can't think of anybody better to have a conversation centering around mold brain and excitotoxicity, neurotoxicity, and neuroinflammation. 
So this was really an amazing conversation. Uh, Jill and I, we really jive off one another so well. I think we're really, really in sync with not only our clinical uh, beliefs, but also our esoteric and personal beliefs and, and core values. So I feel it was a very, very enriching conversation on all things related to mold brain and the neuroinflammatory excitotoxic effects of mold. So I know you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with this amazing episode. Thank you for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, functional friends, welcome back to the Holistic Savage Podcast. We like to talk about everything on the show related to functional medicine, functional spirituality, functional psychology, everything, all the functional things, and you can't spell functional without fun. So today I am so excited, uh, Dr. Jill Krista, who um, I consider a dear friend, although we've never met in person, but we float in the same circles. We have a lot of the same friends, uh, and we are both proud of Mold Squad members. We're rocking our Mold Squad t-shirts yeah. today. Dr. Jill, uh, this has kind of been a long time coming, and I couldn't be more excited to chat with you today. Likewise. Super excited for this conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't even know where to begin. So we're going we're gonna to be talking a little bit about Mold Brain, because Mold is a subject near and dear to both of our hearts. And I, and I always like to joke that, um, you know, we didn't choose the mold life, the mold life kind of chose us. So to kind of kickstart the convo, you know, Jill being a leading expert, a doctor of naturopathic medicine with an expertise in mold, which I also hear you're pretty darn um, sharp when it comes to pans and pandas. And of course, I know that you're brilliant with, you know, like we pick our favorite subjects, but, you know, certainly the, the scope of knowledge is huge. But I'd love to kind of kickstart this convo of, of how you got into the mold life and uh, we'll see where this, this leads. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Mold chose me for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was started working with Lyme patients. So I actually, I'm trained as a primary care doctor, as a naturopathic doctor and ended up in Southern Wisconsin, which after seeing a lot of patients in family practice, realizing I'm in heavy metal country I'm in dioxin country because of all the paper processing plants upstream for me. So it's a, like an environmental soup. And once we got people cleaned out, there were all these people that still weren't getting better, even though we chelated and we cleaned and all that. And they had Lyme. So then I'm like, okay, I don't really know a lot about Lyme. I'm going to go be a Lyme expert. So I did the eyelids training, which is much more of a functional integrative approach. Um, and so it was very fitting. I didn't know a lot about how to do the antibiotics and that kind of thing. So it was really good for me to expand my, my education. And boy, when you apply these, these principles of find and treat the cause, once we are able to find stealth infections, so Lyme, co-infections, all that goes along with a tick bite, then you treat that, people tend to get better. But I still had this other group that still wasn't getting better. And they were the hardest working patients ever. I mean, those people that walk out with your plan you know, I usually discuss the plan with people, like, what are you willing to do? Does this seem like this could work? Especially with kids, they come into my medicinary and they have to taste everything first so that we know that compliance isn't going to be as big of an issue. And the parents then have that third person say, well, 
you told Dr. Jill that you liked it, you know, so and they could, I'm going to call Santa, you know, I'm going to call Dr. Jill and tell her that you're not taking your stuff. So yeah, we got into the Lyme world and these people weren't getting better. This little subset of people in one of that group, they found mold in his home. It was black mold. So stachybotrys plus, you know, all its friends. And he had cancer diagnosis, chronic pain, chronic anxiety, tinnitus, pelvic pain, he called himself the glass man. Every time he'd step off a curb, he could sprain his ankle. So that collagen breakdown piece, just all, all the wrong things happening to somebody who was doing all the right things. And that got me thinking, wow, I don't think I really understand mold. I knew it as sort of an allergy problem. And yeah, he had a little sinusitis, but like not asthma and all the things that I left medical school understanding mold to be. And I was thankfully trained in environmental medicine where they said, yeah, mold can be also sort of a MS picture. So I understood that, but you know, he didn't fit any of those things. So as I was digging into the research, it was like, oh my goodness, I don't understand mold at all. So lots of animal research on mycotoxins, which is in my patient population, the majority of the symptoms are due to these mycotoxin exposure, certainly to spores, spore fragments. That's part of the picture, but there's all these other things that can happen from mycotoxins. And I, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's why that person's still sick. That's why that person's still sick. And as we investigated each of those stories, we found mold exposure in almost all of those cases. So that's, that kicked off the whole, you know, mold journey for me. And then mold duped me. We moved into a relatively new house and um, it was summertime. Windows were open, you know, it was beautiful fall. As we closed up for winter time, so I live where there's four seasons, my family and I, even our dogs, started getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And I didn't understand it. And finally in February, the flood revealed itself. It was like enough of the, the material got saturated mm. that we had a literal flood in my kitchen. And I was like, boom, this is mold. I know what to do. I knew who to call. I had my inspectors I work with. You know, I had worked with the past decade before this happened to us. I knew the remediators that did a good job because I would do home visits for my patients. So, you know, I had it all, all the skill set, and I knew the protocol to get everybody on. And that's when I felt just really duty bound to write my book because I thought this is this, everybody can do this. Mm -hmm. This isn't rocket science. It doesn't require medication to get better. Some people need it, but you know, the majority of people, this is a, a detox and immune modulating condition. And we have these tools at hand. So yeah, then the book was born. Absolutely. Long story. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, I love it. And it, it really helps set the stage. I remember I was reading uh, your, your book, Break the Mold. Um, amazing book. I was reading it like on the plane back in, I don't know, 2019. I'm bopping all over. And I, I think mold is a very intimidating subject. I think it's very misunderstood. And I think literally like right now, I mean, it's exploding as, as a topic and certainly there's the two sides of it. We, we need more awareness, but of course with heightened awareness comes heightened sensationalism and incorrect information and, and bandwagon kind of stuff going on. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard. And, and I know you get this because, you know, you and I are, and our, our other mold friends, not moldy friends, but mold friends are, uh, <laughs> You know, sharing similar content out there. And of course, there's a lot of people that are in this very kind of hyper reactive mode and they're desperate for information. But you said something really powerful in there 
um, which is also where I, I never shied away from it either, even though I'm an unlicensed functional dude. Um, because yeah, the, the vast majority of the work and the vast majority of the healing doesn't really require pharmaceuticals. Certainly there's, you know, a time where maybe some antifungals or a time for a prescription binder, but for the most part, it's a lot of environmental, it's a lot of lifestyle behavior modification. Um, and uh, there really aren't any, any shortcuts or, or whatnot, but, you know, like we agreed upon, it's like, well, the, the mold life chooses you because nobody cares about mold until you get sick from it. And, you know, I have my, my history of living in a moldy house with, there's five of us, an ex-fiance and her three kids and everybody got hit differently. And, and that's yes. kind of where a lot of the confusion comes in. It's like, well, how could that be? One person's like, well, she was the canary. You know, I have my susceptibilities. Yep. The son has this, the other two, you know, no, no problem. So I'd love your, to get your take on, you know, because obviously we don't want to sensationalize mold to the point where everybody's afraid of it. We want that empowerment and awareness without the fear because fear is not a very helpful healing emotion. So what would you say when it comes to like, all right, you know, we've, we've co-evolved as a species for what, you know, bipedal hominids been around for like 200,000 plus years. Fungi has been around for like a few million years, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. we've co-evolved with mold and, you know, even there's some, not a lot, sparse literature on the microbiome that suggests like, well, maybe even toxin producing molds are kind of a normal part of our microbiome. So how would you say, okay, like we all get exposed pretty much every day, but like, how do we know when we need to really quote unquote worry about it or start looking a little bit deeper into like, huh, is mold affecting my health? How, how would you answer that? That's so interesting. So I, I I'm going to just frustrate everybody that I think we are a little bit mycotoxin obligate. Yeah, I really do think we are. I think that that's, I mean, we use it. Statins are a mycotoxin. Yeah. So there's something that can be very provoking and purgative about being exposed to micro amounts of toxins. And you're seeing this now with like psilocybin and those kind of things like that. There are certain things that when you have a little bit of it and psilocybin is probably a wrong um, example, but you know, a little bit of it, it induces the body to do a cleanse. And that's why I'm such a fan of bitters because typically poisonous plants are going to taste a little more bitter. And so what that does is it, the taste of bitter encourages the body to increase secretions, to do a purgative action, to try to move things. So I think a little bit of mycotoxin in food is absolutely normal. I think that there's, there are ways that we are storing food that we aren't getting a once in a while exposure to a mycotoxin because we're at the end of a season where we've stored food for the winter or something like that. That's when we maybe would have gotten it more or at the end of a fruit season, let's say there's going to be more on the raspberries just at the end of the season, that kind of thing. But now we, with our food source, we're being exposed to it a little bit every day. And that's a little too much when we have all the other toxins trying to, you know, go through the liver, which is a, you know, really tight highway these days, <laughs> very crowded, lots and lots of toxins. Um, so yeah, we absolutely evolved with it. We use molds to help us decompose previously living organic matter. And I think we've really confused the mold. And we've also come at it with a real affront. So we have antifungals, right? So we're doing monoculture. We're not respecting the plants. We overgrow grains. We overstore it. We overgrow corn. We store it. You know, we, we become sort of um, hoarding in our way that we make our food. And 
I think the mold is just like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm just doing my job now, but then we're going to spray that corn with antifungals before we harvest it and put it away. And now the fungus has to get a little more creative and a little more um, virulent, if we want to call it that way. And now we're also taking homes that are previously living organic material and we're building the same kind of home no matter what terrain you live in, which is not natural. Native Americans did not do that. They changed their building based on what was going on in the world around them. So we're really inviting mold into our situation. We're growing right, you know, I, I live, it's been raining, raining, raining. I live in a community, there's a house going up in the middle of the rain. We've, we have such hubris that antifungal and pressure treated wood is, you know, nothing can grow on it. Well, it's mold safe or whatever. And then they, you know, the industry's kind of picked up on that. Even um, there's new OSB board they're calling like mold safe, you know, and that's the like the trademark name of it and that kind of thing. And so, you know, the guys putting it up, they're like, oh, there's a little funk on it. We'll just turn that backwards so that the people don't see it because they think of mold as an aesthetic problem. Mm. So yeah, I'm, um, I, I get blamed because I take people off mushrooms and fungus in the beginning of their therapeutic period. A therapeutic diet for me, if you've been exposed to mold, is trying to take away all the things in that fungal family for a brief period of time so the body can realize it's not being attacked by food. That's something you can control because the message in that mycotoxin, which is different than the message in an endotoxin, intention is everything. Mm -hmm. The intention in a mycotoxin is to harm and kill another living being. The intention in an endotoxin is just like a dumb bacteria that dumped its stuff, you know, like the, it's, all the stuff fell out of its purse kind of thing. Like yeah. there's not a malintent. Right. So when I look at that, like intention is everything, that's where I give a lot of respect to mycotoxins. And when you're exposed to that in the indoor air, your own microbiome, which I can't wait for us to talk more about that, of your sinuses, your gut, it hears that intention. And so it starts to feel threatened and it starts to behave differently. So that's where you might have in the history, we would have mold that we would purposefully foster in our compost pile, in our gardens at the end of the year. You know, you might keep the leaves on and mulch them so that it can foster some of these microbes that will then create your food the next year. But the problem is that we now, we're basically living in compost piles. They're way too humid. We have a bunch of litter, you know, we have clutter, people don't dust, we have huge spaces to keep up with. And it's a lot if you don't have like helpers. Um, so you have humidity, you have clutter, you have its favorite food. It's going to perceive that's a compost pile. And then we can get into all the energetics too, if you have stuff that you need to help, have help processing and transforming or transmuting into different nutrients. That's, there's an energy of mold. And I was definitely in that space, like mold, I invited it. I was in a very fear-based place. I just had a major loss in my life. It was, it's a very involuting thing. And fear is a very involuting thing. So I love what you said of like, how do we keep people empowered, knowledgeable and empowered by the information to make the changes they need to make and have mold be in their, in their rear view mirror and not be fearing it and also respecting it. So I think, you know, that, that combination, thinking of it not as an evil thing, but, you know, and I do, I vilify it a lot in my book just to try to like keep it light, you know, because <laughs> that was the thing I saw in the, in the mold world as I started to get into it. 
you know, stepping my toes out to be in a public place was, wow, the message is it's heavy. You don't ever get better. Yeah. You, you know, it's yeah. going to be a trudge. You're, you know, and so doctors would be like, nope, I'm not even, not even going there. And I think that that's really something I hope that I brought to it is lightness, positivity, hope, a system. Don't be afraid of it. You are seeing mold patients. We, you know, they are there. You just, you're not recognizing them and you could have be so much more efficient with how you deal with these people. Absolutely. Long-winded answers to you, my friend. Hey, I know that's what this, <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about. You know, I, I do kind of Joe Rogan style, just like the, the long, because that's how you really get into it. The, um, I know everybody wants fast these days. Everybody wants instant gratification. Everybody wants easy answers. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like without some context, without some holistic thinking, because a uh, big, the mold thing, it's a huge conversation. And, you know, you just put a lot of different perspectives on it of, you know, more the ener energetic, esoteric, but also systems biology, because, you know, mold and mold illness makes no sense without kind of doing a little bit of a history lesson and evolution, where we come from systems mm -hmm. biology, how does, how does the human species fit into a bigger ecosystem, you know, on this planet and looking at, how we are the only living species in existence, as far as we know, that doesn't live in symbiotic harmony with the natural world. And it's like, you know, I wonder if yeah, uh, things started going awry there, right? It, you know, seasonality, right? If we live in a seasonless world and, you know, the produce is the same all year and our bodies are exposed to the same temperature, the same climate, so on and so forth. So, a lot of it is kind of one of those um, almost like a a, uh, a developed lack of tolerance towards whether it's mold or really any any other um, microbe. And as you said, too, with the, the energetic side and kind of the fear based side, something, you know, I'm sure you've seen me posting about. And, and I think all, all of us mold squatties uh, <laughs> uh, kind of are in agreement on that, where it's like a lot of these people that are really severely mold ill, they, they do have unresolved trauma. They do have a lot of kind of fear-based emotional psychology going on. And, and those are the hardest people where it's like a lot of it, we have to kind of get them out of that mindset. And of course then, and we'll continue on into this subject because, you know, mold does something really weird to the human brain. I mean, of course, yeah. You know, that's kind of my whole focus, as you know, and there's, you know, a million and a half things that contribute to neuroinflammation, excitotoxicity and microglial dysfunction. But mold especially does something really weird and nasty. So we'll, we'll kind of gateway there through the microbiome where um, your answer was so beautiful and eloquent and well-rounded. So I'd love to hear, you know, as we continue that thread. So like, all right, the microbiome, you know, germ theory versus terrain theory. And it's like considering uh, germ theory is, you know, obviously still the leading medical paradigm. And <laughs> you think <laughs> in case 2020 <laughs> yeah. elucidated anything for us, right? <laughs> you know, no exercise, nutrition has nothing to do with immune health. Obesity has nothing to do with it. Just, you know, the myopia and the reductionism just is mind-blowing to me and, and especially with mold trying to heal from mold doesn't make sense if you're looking at it very reductionistic like how do I just scoop in and scrape the mycotoxins out how do I just do I just kill that mold 
So tell us a little bit about, you know, with the, the great decomposer of fungi in our environment and fungi being like, you know, growing underneath the earth and the hyphal networks that connect all living life and all the cool stuff. So then how does it start with, uh, we have the microbiome, we've got the sinuses, the gut, and, and how that kind of affects our immune system. I'd love, I'd love to hear your eloquent um, sort of outline of that. Well, I mean, I think it's just, just a kind of a continuum, you know, that when you are exposed to the spores, the spore fragments, that starts an inflammatory reaction. And we have lots of ways to wiggle mucus up our respiratory passages so we can either blow it out or, you know, clear our throat and swallow it, all the goopy gross stuff. If you get too much of that, it overwhelms the system. And if you get too much of that, it overwhelms your immune system. And then the immune system can't continue to keep that tissue regulated and that's where you can get spore invasion. There's a broad misconception in in the conventional model that only people with HIV and that are going through chemo can get an infection with aspergillus or we, even stachybotrys. We're finding stachybotrys in lung tissue. So that's a broad misconception in my opinion because long-term exposure to mycotoxins can create the same degree of immune deficiency. So that's just the spore part. And then the mycotoxin part it's that, again, it's a continuum in my mind that when you're first exposed to those mycotoxins, if you have a good, robust, healthy body, and this is why everybody gets sick differently, different time zone or time frames and that kind of thing, your body will detoxify. It will rally whatever secretions are needed. It will, because mycotoxins, they don't have to get transported into cells. There are certain toxins that need to have certain proteins, just for listeners, certain proteins kind of open the door and that kind of thing. Mycotoxins just move through osmosis. So they just go to the next gradient basically, and they can move into those tissues, into the capillaries, into the bloodstream. And so they, a breathability problem, something you can inspire can be distributed into the body, even the brain, just through the blood system because they, they're just, you know, moving through the tissue with, with osmosis. So when you get that exposure and the person, a good, robust, healthy person doesn't have the nutritional deficiencies, the genetic risk factors, which in my experience has been more due to detoxification SNPs than the HLA story. Um, but that might be because I'm addressing things a little bit differently. I'm addressing immune system. So maybe they don't have a previous exposure, previous exposure. So they're coming into this very naive to this experience. They get a dose of mycotoxin exposure through their respiratory passages the body likely will encourage a bile dump and they might get a little loose stool. Job done, you know, and that's it. But if that is persistently happening, now you move to the next part of that continuum that's saying now the microbes in those areas are reporting back to the immune system. There's this really cool thing that happens between the nose and the throat. They communicate through the cervical chain and the neck. So they're saying, hey, we got a little problem. Something, it kind of seems like we're getting again, the intention behind the mycotoxin, we're getting a message that we're trying to get a fungal overgrowth and maybe bacterial too, because every water damaged building has bacteria. I mean, I tell a story in my book, we tested a board that everybody agreed, all the remediators agreed, that's so moldy. And it came back completely free of mold and an incredibly high endotoxin burden. Mm -hmm. So it's all bacteria, vegetative bacteria. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're getting lots of things, but the message in the mycotoxin, the intention being the more scary intention, suddenly that internal microbiome starts to say, I think fungus might be trying to move in here. So let's start 
doing defensive things. And so that wears down the immune system over time. Now your own microbiome becomes a pathogenic biofilm. It's no longer commensal. It's no longer, because I think we all have biofilm. One's called the microbiome, it could be healthy, or it could be called, you know, we call them functional medicine biofilm, but they're all basically biofilms. It's just, is it working for you or is it working against you? So things start to act defensively. So the neighboring cells are saying, no, 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 it's a bacteria. And, you know, you got one guy saying it's a bacteria, three guys saying, no, it's a fungus. And now they're all arguing and they're endotoxing each other. And now you have things that can come into the environment, respirable, like pseudomonas, which is a really tough one to get rid of, mycobacterium, those kinds of things. Because they're like, hey, if nobody's watching the shop, I'll, I'll come hang out in this nice gooey tissue and yeah. you know eat some of these carbohydrates and all that kind of stuff. So you become your own sick building, even if you leave the environment. Mm -hmm. And then over time, that wears down your immune system. You get more pathogenic biofilm, more pathogenic critters, because we're eating parasites all the time. You know, I mean, that's yeah. just part of our food source. We're eating a little bit of mycotoxin, unfortunately, way more than we should. But those are all things that we're normally exposed to, that now there's nobody guarding the gates. There's no sentinel soldiers there, and they can just host. And that, over time, can then become fungal overgrowth, which then can become invasive fungal infection. So it's this whole continuum. And you can be anywhere on that continuum, you can bounce. Hey, functional friends. I'm sure you're enjoying the episode and hopefully you're feeling inspired and motivated and maybe your brain is hurting a little bit or maybe the gears are turning on all the, the new knowledge nuggets that you can implement into your day-to-day -day life or your functional health practice. So keep in mind that self-healing does not mean you try to figure everything out on your own. Something that I see emerging more and more on social media is everybody's trying to figure it all out on their own and navigate their healing journeys alone. I really don't recommend that so certainly when my car and my jeep is making funny sounds i don't try to fix it myself i'm not an auto mechanic i am going to take ownership of the situation i am going to do my amateur research ask around get quotes take it to an expert auto mechanic that i trust so self-healing is all about being ready willing and able to take ownership of your health in your situation and ready, willing, and able to do what it takes to transcend your health struggles and actually heal. But that doesn't mean that you should try to figure it out all on your own. So of course, you should absolutely be working proactively with your primary care physician to make sure that your conventional medical needs are being met. With that said, of course, conventional healthcare has its limitations, in which case you might want to consider working one-on-one -on -one with a functional medicine provider and or functional health coach. And of course, I am happy to consider working with you myself. You can apply to be a client of mine and my team by emailing info at metabolicsolutionsllc.com. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the Holistic Savage podcast. We on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show. Which is even trickier. <laughs> you get somebody out of that mold environment and all of a sudden they get a wicked fungal infection. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah, your body's trying to detox that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a tough thing because, of, of course, you know, you go, and I, I don't think people get that. They think, uh, you know, unless they really had severe water damage to the home or have, like, an obvious 
mycelium growing in their closet or, or something like that, which of course, like who hasn't lived or spent time in a water damaged home or office or, so I do think the, the sick building syndrome and the, the water damage to the home, that, that is a huge part of it too. But, you know, I, to your point, something that I think people need to understand is of course, with our uh, microbiome with sinus or the skins of the lungs of the gut and, and fungi being a normal part of that, it's kind of, it's in the conventional narrative, like you said, of like, unless you're HIV or like severely immunocompromised or, you know, cystic fibrosis kids, you get just the recurrent bacterial fungal, you know, invasive aspergillosis of the lungs and everything. Um, but of course, too, when you start kind of fact, and part of it too, I think is that distinction of, you know, a true acute infection as categorized by conventional healthcare versus kind of understanding this idea of just microbial overgrowth and microbial imbalances. And, you know, like with candida, like we all agree that candida is just a normal commensal yeast, but same thing with conventional medicine. Like they really only say, well, invasive candidiasis, like you have to be severely immunocompromised or, or HIV or cancer or whatever. Um, but then of course it's like, well, it's like a spectrum of how much has that candida started overgrowing out of control and producing that biofilm or starting to become invasive. So it is a more complex picture than I, I think people really realize. And with the, you know, standard American metabolism, as I like to call it, good old <laughs> <laughs> uncle Sam, you know, you think about how many people have got the, the leaky gut and dysbiosis and ingesting glyphosate and all the colors and fillers and hormones and the EMF, like it is, it's that it's the radiation, it's the toxic soup. It's the, everything about the standard American lifestyle is so immunosuppressive and pro-inflammatory and just degenerative in, in, in nature. So then of course it just kind of sets the stage for just about any bug, whether it's a uh, virus or uh, <laughs> fungi or or whatever, kind of starts getting a little bit more virulent. So even it's mm -hmm. if, even if you haven't really had substantial water damage and substantial mold growth, um, you know these things can through just a bit of exposure recurrently or all the other factors. It's it's like how much exposure, spores and fungal fragments and mycotoxins, and how resilient is your body and like you pointed out, we have the genetic side and then of course the epigenetic control of that. And then before you know it though, it's it's that breakdown of your immune defense, the breakdown of the tissues. Um, and then boom, enters like, okay, now we have a little bit of a problem. The mold is really moving in, starting to kind of infect, the mycotoxins are shutting you down. So let's uh let's have you take us to the brain a little bit. Let's start getting into this mm -hmm. uh mold brain thing because you know there's a big difference between the the mental health dysfunction caused by let's say diabetes or just standard american diet or, or even endotoxemia but mold brain is something different um it is yeah i'd love to hear you speak to that a little bit <laughs> yeah it's it's so unlike I, I i say that you know when you and i learned this with candida as before I was into mold, you know, way early in practice, if somebody had a candida overgrowth and I put them on antifungals and I didn't do the homework to make sure they were pooping and, you know, all this kind of stuff so they could get it out, it would go to the mind. That's the people I would get the phone call to my office. I'm feeling so anxious. I can't sleep. I'm feeling suicidal. You know, this is when I was like, oh, this is a big deal. You know, this goes to the brain. Fungus, for some reason, goes to the brain. It affects your mind. It affects your mood. 
Um, and I really do think it's part of Mold's Jedi mind trick. You know, it's like, if, again, taking the 10,000 foot view, which I really, really big about this. Like I get into the minutia so I can back, back out and be simple mm -hmm. and bring things into the simple. When I look at stealth infections like Lyme or Epstein-Barr or now COVID, um, and I look at mold, those other infections need you alive to survive. Mm -hmm. They're living off of you, basically. Mm -hmm. And they need you. That's why you just limp. You don't, you know, I mean, there are people who die of Lyme carditis. I will, I want to just respect that. But the majority of people are limping around, dealing with chronic illness, undiagnosed Lyme, and are doing kind of okay, not great. With mold, it wants to compost you. Yeah. Its job is to compost previously living organic material. And I say that over and over again so that we stop and think about, are you vitalizing your body? Or are you sending messages through your lifestyle, through your energetic practice or spiritual practice, through your you know, sleep, relationships, all that kind of stuff? Diet, of course. Are you sending messages of, nah, go ahead, mold, take over. I'm not using it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not moving your body every day, you're sending a message for something that's a composter to come in and help out. So mold was ju would just assume compost you. So I think that it goes into the brain tissue and it's sending that message of like, give up, just give up. Cause yeah. we're here, we're here to take care of it. Don't worry. You don't need to live anymore. We, we got it. We'll take over from here. Thinking that what the job they're being called to do is to help you kick off and they can compost you. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I mean, it's just, when I think about that and, and I've seen it in people, you know, patient after patient after patient. And now I'm in my membership, you know, I get to talk with lots more people at one time and it's just like, wow, it is, it is really a dedication. And part of, part of getting better from this is having a daily dedication to getting better. Yeah. And it is not something you can skip on a daily basis and whatever that looks like, whether it's today, I'm going to make some greens I know I don't won't really have the energy for it, but I'm going to make some greens. I'm going to do it. Or today, I know it's really icky and cold outside, but I'm going to spend five minutes outside. Those are all little messages through your micro behaviors that are telling mold, nope, that's not what you've been called here to do. I'm sorry I confused you. You know, nope, I'm using this body. I want it to stick around. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's a, a really, that was a really powerful and, you know, it's so refreshing to hear that because we, you know, we can talk in like medical jargon and, and technicalities, but it, it does kind of detract from the bigger moral truth of, of it. And especially, you know, with my background in, in fitness and nutrition, I was kind of caught off guard when I ventured into the functional medicine space because I felt like there was such an emphasis on labs and protocols and, and biohacks and, uh, and it just felt still a little bit too reductionist. I'm like, but where's like the fitness to build resilience? Where's the, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I say this all the time where you have like your standard American that's, you know, overweight and all the standard American metabolism stuff. And, and obviously we know visceral fat is very just pro inflammatory, but your average person that's overweight and sedentary has much higher levels of just meta inflammation, whether you're measuring IL-6 or CRP or fibrinogen, doesn't really matter, but the inflammatory pattern and in, in kind of cytokine milieu, as I like to call it, is just more pro-inflammatory than like a highly trained athlete that is thrashing their body in the gym every day. But it's that hormetic adaptation to inflammation and oxidative stress and that resilience to it. So 
you know, even with uh, the, the mold individuals or the chronically ill sick, you know, in my mind, I'm like, if, if you are medically stable, you are healthy enough to be moving, you're healthy enough to mm -hmm. be fit and your, your health, your metabolic health is going to be kind of the, the sum, the net effect of all the input signals. And what you were just saying with that, all of those micro input signals that you're sending to, to your body. So every kind of pore or maybe, uh, maybe pore is not a great word that triggers some people, but, um, you know, more like pro-inflammatory input signal or what is that going to do? And so as you're saying, you have to, uh, you have to fight back, right? You have to fight the, the bad input signals with putting in a lot of good ones. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a conscious, that's a conscious thing. You know, I, I remember in practice, somebody saying, you are so optimistic. How, you know, it must be so nice to be optimistic. And I thought, that's not an accident. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a daily practice mm -hmm. of what do I, what do I want to be thinking about? What do I choose to be believing? What do I choose to be thinking about? And this idea of you, you have to fight it every day through positive changes, you know, through making those little, little things. Do we all do it all the time? No, of course not. It's just about writing. It's like when you're driving a car, you're going to veer left and veer right. You just keep correcting so that you're staying on the path. And it's so important. We talk, I would love to talk minutiae in the brain, not just big picture, because I love, love, love your term, microglial activation syndrome. I think you need to like get oh, yeah. ears on this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, We're whatever. just getting started with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's so, that's mold. That's yeah. what it's doing. And you talked about the systemic inflammation. The connection there is that once mycotoxins get into the brain and they activate those microglia, which for the listeners is like the, the macrophage or the chewer upper immune cell that happens in our brain, they normally, I just saw some really cool footage of this, when they're healthy and they haven't been activated, they're out kind of like a monkey on trees, like moving through your brain tissue and moving around those neurons and synapses, the trees of our brain. And they're just mobile and moving around and surveying and finding if there's a place that they need to stop and eat junk. They clean up just metabolic junk. You know, that's the other thing. It's not just always about infection. So I get flack from infectious disease doctors who say, what, we're not finding mold spores in the brain. I mean, in some cases they are. More sick people, like dementia and Alzheimer's, they are. So, you know, this doesn't make any sense that you have microglia activation. I'm like, well, then you're not really understanding how the immune system works. The immune system is just as much part of a garbage cleanup crew mm -hmm. as it is infection fighter crew. And if you have a bunch of mycotoxins that don't need a carrier to carry them into the blood-brain barrier through that barrier, and our, our olfactory bulb is one of the few places in the brain, there's only four that have no blood-brain barrier. So you're sniffing a mycotoxin that can move cell to cell to cell to cell to ex extracellular matrix to the next cell, moving along the gradient, meaning if you're smelling it every day, you're gonna shove them deeper, 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 deeper down that olfactory bulb and now into the brain that's going to trigger that mic microglia cell to say, hey, there's garbage here to clean up. Mm -hmm. Once they get triggered, they lose their arms and they can't move anymore. I didn't know that. I'm just learning this. This is like super exciting stuff. Once they get triggered, they lose their arms because now they're next to the toxin they're supposed to eat or the garbage or the LPS or the whatever it is. But they can be triggered. So they have their own cytokines and chemokines, but they can be triggered by a systemic inflammatory basis state, just what you were talking about. So if your body is in an inflamed state, it can keep that guy turned on 
And now when it's turned on, it can recruit others to come over. It's like, you know, come on over. I've got tons of garbage to clean up because we have all this inflammation. This must be the garbage that's causing all the inflammation. All the other guys get recruited. They lose their arms and they all get stuck in this, as you talk about, this activation syndrome where they don't get to mature and die. That's what they're supposed to do is, you know, eat, mature, die, get out of the way and let some other mobile guy come along. They don't ever get out of that pattern. And that's that cell danger response, limbic looping. We can call it lots of different things. But if you think about what that happening in the brain where you're supposed to be having thoughts, mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be having new learning, where you're supposed to be controlling your neurotransmitters and your mood, uh, all of that inflammation gets in the way of those processes. And it uses up the ATP and the, the glutathione in our brain. And you just get a slowdown of all the systems. And that's, I think mold is really uniquely, I know there's something different. And I, I know that there's a lot of toxin stuff too, but I think that, that that really plays into what you've been talking about with the microglia activation. Absolutely. That was, that was very well said. <laughs> yeah, there's a little fly in there. I got a little fly, um, yeah. No worries. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there is just something kind of, because there, there are so many components, you know, even non-celiac gluten sensitivity being a big pro-inflammatory driver. Like people, I don't know, I, I've been getting more and more trolls on the internet and it is what it is. And I don't know why people are so resistant to this, this idea, because this whole idea of inflammation driving, you know, whether we want to say mental health dysfunction or mental illness, um, it's it's not it's i would go as far as saying it's pretty irrefutable like there's a enormous body of science behind it and it's not like big pharma doesn't know it like something i'm always chatting about to make sure people don't think i'm making it up it's like they have interleukin-6 monoclonal antibodies in phase two clinical trials for treatment resistant depression so it's like you know and you look at even the ssris or snris or benzos a lot of those do have a sort of uh, ameliorating effect on, you know, reducing interleukin-6 or a lot of them, you know, so many um, SSRI studies showing, you know, serum BDNF goes up after using SSRIs or the benzos kind of reducing the excitotoxic NMDA, you know, cascade. But that's where, yeah, those microglial cells, like you're describing when they're under normal healthy physiological circumstances. They're very quiescent. I like the, the monkey. Um, yeah, isn't it cool? <laughs> I like the monkey uh, swinging through the trees. And mm -hmm. Well, and, we all have had monkey yeah. mind, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Like, they just get stuck and they just like, hey, 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 you're breaking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, well, the monkeys in my mind, they really are there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm about as monkey-minded as it gets. And, but yeah, it's the, the the microglial dysfunction is such a because it's like they really regulate the neuroinflammatory cascade, the excitotoxic. They secrete quinolinic, which breaks down the blood-brain barrier and activates the NMDA. Um, they release BDNF, and, and so there's microglia, and so the the two major phenotypes, and then there's the sub, which is a little crazy, but the M1 phenotype being your kind of cytotoxic, like yeah, lose their arms, and it's just like all right missiles launching pro-inflammatory yeah. media versus yeah. more you know the m2 phenotype of um you know more anti-inflammatory more neuroprotective and so like even with neurodegeneration what they're really seeing is you know this um kind of neuroinflammatory cascade it's very self-perpetuating so like mm -hmm. you're saying it, it kind of gets stuck in this sort of perpetual m1 phenotype even because they do all those studies all the time of like 
you know, stick the mice with uh, LPS to just create that cytokine storm, activate the microglia, uh, and even induce the neurodegeneration. But even once the LPS has been removed and gone because of this kind of self-feedback loop where, you know, neurons are releasing like ATP and that's activating purinergic receptors and stuff where, yeah, these, these, you know, your macrophages of the brain, your sentinels of the brain, they're just getting stuck in this constant kind of pro-inflammatory. So when you look at, you know, you look at the mold and the glyphosate and the gluten and the insulin resistance and just all these factors. And it's like, it's just this constant pro-inflammatory flux and, and storm going on in the brain. And so even in PTSD, they're looking at, you know, microglial inhibition really kind of becomes like the sort of focal point. And, but mold is, it's so, I love the way that you put that of like, it's trying to decompose you and, and, you know, causes apoptosis of neurons and stuff because yeah, it's like, Hey, um, but it does that in the cognitive dissonance, which then makes it kind of a lot harder for, for clients or patients or individuals to, you know, comply with their program. Right. Cause they're, they are, they're fighting against their own mind that is going into this very dark and kind of traumatized, scary place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is dark. And there's a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I see that as a chief symptom, the anxiousness. Mm-hmm. I try to say anxiousness, not anxiety, because anxiety conjures up, you know, anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and that can definitely happen. But you can have this low lying internal sense of I'm not safe, things aren't right. I don't know what's going on. You know, I just don't feel right. Something's off. Yeah. Um, and it makes a lot of sense because it's a respirable threat and it's hit, it's invisible. So there's no tiger out there that somebody's saying, that's why I feel like this, you know? And so they start to kind of pin it on things in their life that really aren't creating the anxiety. And you can see marriages have difficulty. You can see relationships really break down. Um, People stress about money when they really don't need to be stressing about it. They stress about anticipatory events. And there's a lot of like list writing and, and ruminating and all of this kind of thing that happens and you get in that loop, not only just the limbic looping we were talking about, but the that there's no the thinking brain, the reptilian brain, there's that dissonance. Like the reptilian mm-hmm. brain's like, we got a problem here, folks. And the cognitive brain is using their eyes because we're very visual and looking around and going, mm, no, I don't see it. I don't see anything. You you must be mistaken, reptilian brain. And then you get this breakdown of the of the two parts of the brain, this very ancient, mm-hmm. very wise. And the person's like, I gotta get out of this place. And they're thinking, I gotta get out of this marriage. Or, you know, and kids will behave more reptilian y. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna act out. Yeah. They're gonna be like, you know, this isn't good. I don't feel safe. I'm gonna act out. Some of them go to sleep. You know, those are like the 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 great kids in a moldy classroom and, and like 25% are acting out severely and the rest are comatose because yeah. they're just like, you know, getting brain fog in class. It's really interesting. But yeah. The acting out is actually, it's not, I, I wish we would start looking at that. And again, I'm really into pandas and pans. So we would yeah. start looking at that as body expression, neuropsych expression of a body problem. Mm-hmm. Because that's, and I've heard you talk about that, you know, the things that are going on in the brain, the connection of depression is there is something physically going on with the brain. You can have trauma that can cause it definitely. But if you have somebody that doesn't like, they're telling you their adverse childhood event was that their parent gave them a purple sucker and not the red one. You're like, we got 
some brain inflammation we better be looking at here because that doesn't resonate as a super traumatic event, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know. Hey, Functional Friends, thank you so much for listening to our show. I hope you get so much out of it and this information and education really empowers and educates you to be your own self-healer, to be your own health advocate and help you reach the level of health and life that you truly deserve. So if you are a self-healer, keep in mind that we have a private Facebook group that is solely dedicated to supporting self-healers on their self-healing journeys. So on Facebook, you can search for The Holistic Savage Tribe and you can apply to join our private Facebook group. We do monthly Facebook Lives. We support it as a group community. It's a safe space for everybody that is wanting to improve their health. We'd love to welcome you into the community. So again, if you get on Facebook, you can find us by searching The Holistic Savage Tribe. Now, if you are a functional health professional wanting to learn and interact with a community of like-minded professionals, you can join our private Facebook community for functional health professionals. That is Metabolic Solutions Institute. You do have to be a certified health professional of some kind, and we welcome many credentials, personal trainers and nutritionists and NTPs and FDNs and naturopathic doctors, medical doctors, but you do have to have some sort of health professional credential but we would love to welcome you into the group. It's an amazing tribe of very smart, intelligent, loving, compassionate, functional providers that are always trying to up-level their skill set to help better serve their clients and patients. And we would love to see you there. So if you're on Facebook, search Metabolic Solutions Institute and you can apply to join our community. I can't wait to see you all in there. Hey guys. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the Holistic Savage podcast. We on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad that you said all that because I, I find myself kind of fighting the internet in, in a lot of ways trying to get that across because you know, of course, people, they read one post and cherry pick and take it out of context and project their triggered emotions. You know, it's just not even mm -hmm. a logical or reasonable assessment in any way. But something I'm seeing more and more of that I'm a little concerned about is, you know, trauma is kind of becoming trendy. And I feel like trauma yeah. is kind of getting all the hype and, and the, the press in a way of like everything's trauma, everybody's traumatized. But I like how you put that of... And I, I say similar things that maybe are more facetious, but kind of like, okay, the, the red sucker instead of the purple one, like, oh, I'm traumatized. And well, you know, if you believe yourself and you choose to believe and kind of victim mentality, but the point, the ultimate point with the, you know, trauma being a spectrum, but of course, the, the literature is very clear on this, whether it's major depressive disorder, neurodegenerative disease, or even PTSD, like heightened inflammation, it just exacerbates any of it. So whether it's, you know, you're genetically inclined to have more of a bipolar type of spectrum disorder or ADHD, or you're prone to more anxiety, you know, how, how it manifests is pretty individualized, but it's just inflammation kind of and, and excitotoxicity but it's easier to say inflammation kind of being the thing that just lights it all up and it just heightens mm -hmm. that and makes everybody and with the chronic Lyme I, I don't know if this common knowledge at all with like the ILADS group but I was reading some papers so I was talking about how 
you know, elevated pro-inflammatory cytokines and hypothalamus really seem to increase just um, bodily pain, like nociception, and then how, you know, dead Borrelia. So it's like you do the doxy or whatever to, to kill the active Borrelia, but then the dead Borrelia, like piss off the microglia more than the live Borrelia. And so right, that kind of, right. you know, and we see that in mold too. Right. Yeah. We see that in mold a lot that somebody is, is, um, they, you know, let's remodel our bathroom. The one that had leaked 20 years ago and nobody knew about it because it's a new house to them or something like that. And you break up all these dried spores which now can create for every one spore, 300 to 500 fragments that are, that are, have DNA on them. Mm. And that DNA can trigger, 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 trigger. And so basically if you're breathing any of the dust in that place, you're getting the DNA trigger happening on the microbiome. You know, that's why I'm always talking about sinus treatment and gut treatment, like, because you're trying to make sure that you are guarding the gates there and to continue to tell that tissue that's being triggered by all of this DNA exposure that's saying, oh, it's back again. Here we go. We're going to be sick again. Like, okay, no, that's how we get our resiliency. And that's when I use mushrooms. Mm. We're past the acute stuff. Then when you have the mycelial network of the planet and Paul Stamets is one of my absolute heroes. (laughs) Absolute heroes. And he describes it as the internet of the planet. You know, I'm all about nature and connecting and that kind of thing. And so by, by taking this avoidance of fungus in the beginning and then using it therapeutically to get your resiliency back, it gets you grounded again. So you can get exposed to those DNA fragments and you, and your body doesn't have to say, okay, here we go. We're doing it again. Now you have wisdom. You're plugged in a little bit better and the tissue can say, let's consult our internet and see, you know, is this a problem? Do we have to turn into a pathogenic biofilm again? Or do we just need to call more macrophages and chew it all up? And I think that that's the, that's the continuity between mold and Lyme is you get the innate system, which is our Rambos, you know, mono mono kind of fighters, and they also do the cleanup, they get depleted. And so you don't have enough cleanup crew. And that's why detoxification is so important and immune modulation. I feel like that's what I've brought into this conversation. Dr. Jess as well, you know, Lauren Tessier. So we've got, we've got people that are talking this talk and saying like you are, we've got to clean up the body. This, this health hokey pokey, I call it, it is not inconsequential. You know, it is the foundation that all the rest of it works on top of. Mm, it was so good. I, I almost mentioned uh, Paul's documentary, Fantastic Fungi, earlier because it's yeah. such a beautiful film. And anybody that hasn't seen it, definitely go watch it. And yes, when I watched it, you know, of course, they 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 talked about the beautiful side of fungus, and it was just like in the very beginning that, like, you know, they mentioned that like fungi can can heal you or it can kill you, and they didn't go into that <laughs> yeah. part, which is obviously where we you know, kind of make our, our living. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the fungal hyphal network. And, and I, uh, when I get interviewed a lot, I always say, I, I dream of a world where, you know, the human species, like a, a return to symbiosis is kind of what I keep saying. And mm. I picture almost like the movie Avatar, where we'll still have modern technology, but we're going to learn how to use the hyphal networks as our internet instead of, mm. you know, the 5G that's causing a bunch of proxy nitride and stuff. Um, yes. 
It's so and people crazy, are though. already. I mean, p- there are people who are who have fully engaged their right brain, which this is a whole other podcast we could have. Totally, I think we'll have, to, have. In yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, and that that's like for for people that are clairvoyant, clairsentient, yeah. clairaudient. You know, I mean, that's a that's an ability we all have access to. Yeah. But there's so much interference now with bringing electricity into a home mm-hmm. with now you know with five G and that kind of thing. But we are powerful energetic beings Mm -hmm. we don't have to be victimized by that yeah there are things you need to do to hold your own energy and to connect with nature and to be still plugged into that mycelial network and the and the ethers you know that kind of thing but i that's another place where i'm seeing a lot of fear that makes me really worried that if we approach 5g and wi-fi with fear um i think then you're involuting you're bringing it into you're being able to be invaded by it and so i think that the next gen of healing what i want to really get into is not just what plant do you need to take because that i think will be an intuitive Mm -hmm. thing that the plants will start to speak to you because that's Mm -hmm. definitely what happened with me that's why i became a naturopathic doctor the next gen of healing is that you your is the spiritual healing and then you seek the things that you need and that's a very dynamic thing you know yeah. even going through mall treatment what you need in the beginning is not the same thing you need in the mid middle of it and not at all what you need for resiliency because yeah. that's when you need the mushrooms you know which is totally. i didn't put any of that in my book because i didn't want to confuse people sure with mold brain you know they're like wait i thought you said mushrooms were bad and yeah. now you tell me i should take you know that it's too confusing oh, but absolutely. i feel like now there's more awareness that you know even to think about should should I be on medicinal mushrooms? You know, and because of course, if you have immune issues, most functional practitioners are going to put you on a mushroom. Yeah. Well, and I found in my practice that made my patients worse. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, okay, that's my my group of you know chronic Lyme, environmentally sick. You know, that's my bias is the people that came to me and they really got disordered with medicinal mushrooms until we whacked back the fungal burden in their body and got their biofilm dissolved and acting more like a commensal microbiome mm. i'm glad i'm glad to hear that insight because there there's so much chatter in the industry about that of like do i do the sack b do i not do i throw in some you know stam at seven or ratio or something do i not and you know it's it's hard and of course there's all this kind of I think it's more theory than anything of like, how do we balance TH1, TH2, TH17? And it's it's like, well, what about TH9 and TH25 or, you know, these other THs that we're not even talking about? Right, right. (laughs) Well, it works that way. Yeah. Um, I have a whole theory about TH17. After reading some of the things that it induces, it's like like MMP9. And it basically, I think it's in the absence of immune sufficiency mm-hmm. and then correlative antimicrobial assistance the body's just trying to keep the biofilm down with th17 and then you can get into that autoimmune thing i think auto a lot of autoimmune diseases um stealth infections that got places they shouldn't mm-hmm. th17 if you look at what it does it chews up our ecm mm-hmm. why would we need that you know, like it's not the body doing you wrong. It's the body communicating something to you. So yeah. listen. Yeah. yeah. It, it will. It's so in, that, that innate intelligence, you know, that's the thing is I think the body, I don't think it really makes any mistakes. And I think we, we, nope. you know, kind of jump to this assumption of like, Oh, well, this is dysfunctional. And how do we, how, let's push down that MMP9 or let's try to treat mm-hmm. that MSH mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, 
Mm, how can we support the body with it? what it already knows how to do? And I think that is a very holistic mindset. And, you know, you have that very holistic thinking. And, and I don't think necessarily everybody in this industry does. I think there is still some reductionistic. And mm -hmm. um, Jill, Carna Jill Carnahan and I were hanging out. We were talking about that a little bit. And not, not everybody. But she also, too, we had a big conversation. So I loved hearing what you were saying, more the you know, the esoteric, the quantum side of healing too. Cause I think like speaking for myself, when I was going through my, you know, kind of great depression and everything, you know, at the time as a young man, I didn't feel like I necessarily had a bunch of psychological shit that I needed to really work through so much as it was like, my body just didn't feel the way. So my thing was like, you know, some, some physiological kind of hacks, if you will, and protocols and sporting. And I like ditch the gluten and heal my gut and get out of a moldy home and a toxic relationship and all that. Um, the, I think the physiological side is a little bit easier, but I think the, the true healing, yeah, that's where the quantum, but it all has to be put together, which is what I really love about what we're doing in this conversation is, and so like in my, some of my slide decks, I created this like integrative intervention spectrum of like, there's the psychology, the spiritual, the quantum, there's the environmental, both, you know, your literal environment, but your psycho-emotional environment just as mm -hmm. much, you know, and then the lifestyle, the diet, the exercise, sleep, so on and so forth, supplemental, and then allopathic pharmaceutical. But I think a lot of times people kind of get stuck in one of those buckets. And it's like the magic is when you put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am not against pharmaceutical antifungals totally. and we need them and I yeah. prescribe them like a naturopath. Cool. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to adjust dosing, timing, yeah. all of those things and make sure we have things on board to manage the side effects and the, the effects of it, you mm -hmm. know? So I, I really love to see that we're moving. I feel like my kids generation, they're a we generation, you know, mm -hmm. they, they've come from Pokemon and all this thing where we, we need everybody's skills so we can all succeed that idea. I just think it's so beautiful that they're trickling onto you know, the older, I mean, my, I'm way older, so <laughs> older generations to say, Hey, maybe things don't have to be competitive. Maybe things don't have to be, you know, I don't know, you name it greedy. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of that going on too. You know, that we need all kinds of different types and ways to approach this. And that's one thing I'd love talking with like Jill Carnahan and just so many different people Dr. Neil Nathan and I just did a, a workshop together and we don't practice the same. Yeah, and the whole yeah. point was to communicate. We don't practice the same yeah. and we're both getting results. So there isn't, it's too new of a field to have any confidence that there's one way to do this. Totally. And there's never one way to do anything anyway. It's all about the patient sitting in front of you and what right. do you need yeah. and having a bigger toolbox each patient is going to, you're plucking different things out of that toolbox, depending on what that person needs. Exactly. That's real medicine. And and paying attention to the energetics, I think is the part that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And that I think is becoming, I'm seeing it become like something safe to talk about where a lot of people felt that way um, and, and tap, you know, tap in in their own way, but weren't willing to sort of put themselves out there and, I'm really feeling the call that, you know, my angels are like, you got to start talking about all this stuff that you do yeah. and have done for 20 years um, to that's the what's behind 
the, the healing because mm-hmm. the, the herbs do matter. What your nutrients do matter. Your diet does matter. How you move your body matters. All those things matter, but you could be doing all of that and still not be getting results. And that's where frustration can set in. Mm-hmm. And instead of getting frustrated, say, okay, what am I not looking at? Or what am I missing? Or those kind of things. And that's going to be a different kind of doctor. Absolutely. It's, it's that innate intuition that I think we all have deep within mm-hmm. us. I, I think humans are immensely intuitive, you know, creatures, if you will, but we are so uh, detached from that and we, we get so unplugged from that. And it, it is very much the, the matrix world that we're living in. And, and we, I think we all feel that. And of course, I think a lot of our suffering is relatively self-induced in the sense that we are going against our intuition. And that's why we feel that deep sort of, you know, conflict of the tectonic plates of our soul that are just Mm -hmm. colliding. And, and so I do think as we kind of move into that, you know, fifth dimension, that, that quantum healing that, and that's where everything's going. And of course, that's where like the psilocybin and the plant medicine, it's, um, you know, it is a powerful experience that can really drop that veil of ego and, and allow us to see the beautiful truth and love that has always been in us and around us. We just, you know, we lose sight of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people making money off that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah there That's sure a really is. handy thing. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Well, we'll have to do a, 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 well, a part two conversation to get into more of that in um, season five. But I don't want to take up your entire day. But this is a, a I, I think you brought a lot of, because by this point in time, you know, I've had Sandy on the podcast. I've had Lauren. I've had um, Jess. So we've had numerous mold episodes, but I like how each person has brought kind of a different perspective and, you know, I think all of them together make a very well-rounded, and like you said, though, it's meeting the client or patient where they are at and being kind of intuitive enough to intuitive enough to be in tune with their energy and, and you know, empowering them to be able to make their decisions based on what what's going to resonate with them. Because there's a lot of kind of ways to skin the cat, but um, what's going to be the thing that they're, you know, ready, willing, and able to apply themselves to. Yeah. And when you have mold brain, you talk about mold is so weird with the brain. That's where it's really nice to have someone to work with because it's really hard to have that discernment to, to know even what the next single step should be. Um, That's the art of practice for us is that we can see, okay, just one tiny little thing, you know, add a green juice and come, I'll see you in two weeks. You know, like that's the one little thing you need to do, or you need to get outside for 10 minutes as early in the day as possible and get exposed to the sunshine. Let's start there. And for some people they come in and you can just like, you know, here are all the things and and they're ready. So that, that discernment, it's nice to have somebody to work with that can help you with that. What's my next single step or 10, if you're ready for 10. Hey, you know, some, some people can take that on, but you know, when, when they're a little scattered. So as we, um, start wrapping up. I'd love to hear what's new in the world of Dr. Jill, Chris. So what are, what are you up to these days? Cause I see you all over the place. You've got your book, break the mold, which everybody listening should go, go read. Cause otherwise you're not going to understand anything, but <laughs> what's new in your world? What's on your agenda as you move into the fifth dimension here? Well, fun. Um, I am taking July and August off of social media and cool. extra stuff, interviews, whatever, to write a book and create a course on pandas. So 
I heard a, uh, I heard a rumor yeah, about pan. this. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was going to happen last year, but you know, that's just the way things go. I have I have very very big ideas. Yeah. Um so yeah. And then who knows, I might continue on with my I was writing a book on post concussion syndrome using mm. natural medicine for post concussion. Cool. When mold hit and all I could think about was mold. So I was like, mm-hmm. I guess I'm writing a mold book. I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll see. But pandas and pans, there's a lot of really struggling kids. And there's a mold connection. There's a Lyme connection. There's a microglia connection. You know, all those. I just love neuroinflammatory conditions yeah. because there's so much we can do to help. Yeah. And people really, really struggle. They're traumatized. Mm-hmm. You know, they live in terror. It's an internal terror. And it's just a heartbreak to see. And I have 20 years, 21 years now in the trenches as a mom of twins with pans. So, um, and congenital Lyme. So I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm uniquely qualified to be talking about this. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, I have just so much love and respect for you. And, you know, I, I joke all the time cause I, you know, I don't have anything to hide. So I joke on the internet all the time of like, I'm either the most unqualified human to be talking about all this mental health stuff, or I'm the most qualified kind of depending <laughs> on the uh, perspective. But like you're saying, I mean, it's like, yeah, you can, you can go through whatever educational programs and get the piece of paper, get the letters, you can do all that, but there's nothing like real world experience, you know, being a mom of two children and going through it or helping countless patients and going through your own mold journey. So um, I, I would, that's kind of what is, the poll and I was hoping to maybe get a little <laughs> teaser, but I'm so happy and, and proud of you to hear that you're, you know, take step back so you can focus on manifesting your best, best work. And, um, I will be very excited to, to see your next book and, and we'll definitely get you back on the show to have a part two conversation. Yeah. That's a microglia rich conversation. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot going yeah. on there with the, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully I can get my book going too. We can really powwow it out and just, you know, but that's, I should follow your lead. I need to like take a step back. I just got that. Yeah. I got that download of like, girl, I'm in charge, you know? So what's, what am I griping about? Cause I'm the one in charge of that. So yeah, just, um, take time off. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Pans and pandas. It is well, Jill, this has been uh, such pleasure, such a long time coming. And I'm sure it's just the first of many conversations to come. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, And, and I really, I know that, um, you know, traveling only when it makes sense to, but hopefully we, we cross paths in person and give you a big hug. Yeah. That big hug's waiting. (laughs) Cool. cool. All right. Well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. So we'll, you know, include all the links, you know, your book, you beautiful to you know shout from the rooftops how amazing you are and this will be slotted for um june so we'll be in touch with all that stuff as we get a little bit closer but thanks for your time and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day my friend thank you so much awesome bye jill bye